Hi, this is Udo Dirkschneider, the singer of Udo, and you listen to Focus on Metal. Metalhead Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to another dose of Focus on Metal. And this week, we continue on with our classic throwback episodes as we welcome to the show vocalist Mike Vicera. Mike has been on the uh, on the music scene for a long time now, kicking off in 84 with uh, his band Obsession, but he's also worked with Ingve for uh, The Seventh Sign and uh, also the EP I Can't Wait. And Magnum Opus was with uh, Dr. Sin. He's done the Mike Vicera Project, worked with uh, Joe Stump with Reign of Terror, uh, was also on our buddy Roland Grapphouse record Kaleidoscope back in 99. Been doing a lot of stuff over in the Far East, and uh, he's also been working on the Animetal stuff. And most recently, he has been the uh, the D-Metal stars as well as the Disney Super Guitar, which he will get into that whole thing as he talks to Richie this week. But primarily, what we have Mike on the show for this week is throwing back to 1989 and 91 with uh, his time in Loudness as the first English-speaking vocalist for that band. And he is on two albums. He's on Soldier of Fortune, which, as I just mentioned, came out in 1989. And he is also the guy on On the Prowl, which has uh, you know a few new songs on that album. That being Down and Dirty, Playing Games, and Love Toys. But the other stuff is actually doing covers of themselves from a bunch of uh, prior albums from the band and uh that one there again uh michael go into all about what happened with that one and why that one was what it was and uh you know an interesting side note that, that this uh the album on the prowl actually pops up in uh, martin popoff's the collector's guide to heavy metal volume three the 90s so i guess even martin is given uh the thumbs up to this one so anyways, as you can probably tell, lots of good stuff that Richie will be talking to Mike about this week, and uh, very cool stuff as, again, we continue with another week of our throwbacks. So with that, why don't I turn it over to Richie and vocalist Mike Vicera. Hello. Is that Mike? Yes. Hey, Mike. It's uh, Richie here for the interview. Hey, how are you, man? I'm good. So is it good morning or good afternoon for you? Uh, it's good morning. It's 11 here. Okay, so you've, where are you, Midwest? Uh, I'm in Nashville, so yeah, uh, it's like mountain time here. Okay. Or central time, actually. Okay, I'm um, I'm just outside of Boston. Oh, cool, cool. I'm, uh, I'm from Connecticut originally, so that's, that's all my uh, old stomping grounds up there. So <laughs> uh, I've, been, I've been looking forward to this. Um, do you get a lot of people asking you about the, the Soldier of Fortune record? Yeah, yeah, I, I do quite a bit. You know, whenever I'm out touring or doing anything, I get a lot of uh, a lot of questions about it, more so than anything, really. Okay. So, what what do you do, what are you up to at the moment, music wise? Um, you know, right now I'm I've been going out. I've, I've involved in a few different projects. Um, but I do a I go out and do a solo thing where I'll do some Ingve stuff and loudness and some obsession and. 
I do that quite often and um, involved in a few other projects here and there. I do a lot of stuff in Japan as well. I recently, not not too recently, well, pretty recently, actually, uh, I did a thing called D-Metal Stars where we did a heavy metal record of all Disney stuff. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty, yeah, yeah, it was pretty interesting. And, and now we have a new project called Anime's X where we're doing Disney, Marvel Comics, all that really, really crazy stuff, but but uh, heavy metal versions of it, and uh, it's doing really well so far. Yeah. Any, anyone I'd know other than you that's on that? Uh, well, Rudy Sarzo was part of part of it. He uh, he was on the D Metal Stars record, and and he's part of Anime's X when he's available. Um, so, and then we have uh, BJ Sample playing drums, who was with Dokken for a bit, played with Ingve, and the drummer for House of Lords. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and then the guitar player from Obsession, John Bruno, he plays, you know, he's doing all the guitars on the stuff. So, um, and other than that, we've had a few guests here and there. We've had Jeff Watson from Night Ranger and a whole bunch of different people. So, um, yeah, it's real interesting. You know, it's different, and uh, so uh, keeps us busy. Hmm. Is there any song, a Disney song, that when it was brought to you to met to do a metal version, you went, "There's no way that's going to work." Oh, all well, you know, all the old stuff is is you know really interesting, and when you start working on it, it it's it's unbelievable how they wrote these things. These guys, they were really geniuses that wrote these songs and, and you don't realize until you start dissecting them, you know? And, um, but that was a challenge, you know, um, like we did Mickey Mouse March (laughs) 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 and it was just like, you want me to do what? And, um, but it came out great, you know, it came out so cool. And, uh, but it's it's really interesting to dig in and see you know how they structured these songs and and, and are a lot more complicated than they seem. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, so, Mike, let's go back. Um, okay. Just just before the you got the loudness gig, uh, what, what band were you in right before then? Um, I was with Obsession. Um, we had done, you know, we had done two records. Well, actually, an EP and two records. Um, we were on Enigma uh, Capital at the time, and um, things were falling apart with with Obsession. We just had a lot of internal issues, and I started getting offers from from groups around the world, and um, you know, Loudness called me. It was, it was really crazy. Hmm. Um, but I was in discussions for a few things um, at the time. Um, but yeah, it was obsession right before loudness. Okay, and so it was falling apart. Like the guys weren't surprised when he actually decided to leave. Yeah, you know, it was yeah, exactly. Um, it was just the guitar player and myself, uh, Bruce. We were the only remaining members. Um, one guy had legal problems. And another guy had family problems, personal stuff. And it just, it was just slowly falling apart. Um, we were starting to write for a new record and we did have, uh, we were actually going to bring in, uh, a guy named Graham Bass and Steve Hopgood from Paul Diano's, uh, band at the time we had done a tour with them and we really hit it off and they were going to come in as members, uh, in obsession, but you know, it was just getting really complicated and, and, uh, it was like beating the dead horse at the time, you know, mm. it just was really going nowhere. And, and 
it was time for me to move on. Mm. So, so, so Loudness contacted you. You didn't actually hear that they were looking for a singer. Yeah, I had no idea they were looking for a singer. Um, yeah, it was really crazy. I just I got a call from their from their uh, American uh, management in L.A. that they were you know looking for a singer, and my name had come up. Uh, apparently, they had seen a video of me on uh, MTV, like Headbangers Ball or something, and really liked liked what I was doing. And it just happened that the co-producer of the record happened to be in Enigma Records mentioning that they were looking for a guy and and they were like, well, we got the perfect guy for you if he's available. And uh, it was me. So, yeah, I, you know, I got a call and, and, you know, my mom actually, my mom actually had given me a call and said, hey, you know, some damn loud, loud something is looking for you. And I'm like, <laughs> what? I'm like, what? what? That's just crazy, you know? And then I was like, wow, well, it has to be loudness. And it was. You know, so um, I got the call, and two days later, I was in Tokyo singing with the band. Wow. How aware were you of the band's music before then? Yeah, I actually loved Loudness. I, I had a bunch of their stuff, um, you know, I, so I was a big fan of the band. And, and so for to get the call and to be able to go to Japan like that it was great. You mm. know? So, um, you know, I knew a lot of their stuff already. So, yeah, it was it was really cool. So what did they make you sing at the audition? Um, well, that's another crazy story. I never really did audition. When I first got to Japan, the, the first night we all went out and had dinner and drank and got a little crazy. And the second night I was there, second day, we were um, meeting with management and like record people and stuff and um, to see if we would all get along and, you know, get to know me kind of thing. And we ended up going to a, a karaoke bar, um, which was really popular at the time there, but you know, it was unheard of in the States. And I'm like, well, what the heck is this? This is crazy, you know? And uh, so we were having a few drinks and there were some pretty girls around. <laughs> so um, the guys were kind of like, hey, you know, would you sing a song for us? Um, and I, you know, at this time I was kind of feeling pretty good and, um, they asked me to sing Frank Sinatra my way <laughs> on karaoke, you know? So I was like, all right, cool, you know? And so I started singing it and, and Masayoshi, the bass player was sitting next to me. He's like, Oh, you know, sing it. Can you sing it higher? And so I jumped up like an octave and, and there he's like, can you sing it higher? So I just went really, you know, I just did this crazy version of my way in this, in this karaoke bar. And, and they were just like, you got the gig yours we want you to sing and, and that was my audition which was really bizarre but that's that's the true, the true story of how i how i actually got the gig with loudness that's crazy <laughs> yeah it was it was bizarre but we, you know we were just all having such a good time and like i said drinking having a few and i was like you know i had never done this before i'm like oh hell, you know i don't care as a young kid i was you know i'm like i'll do it sure and uh, so that was it and I think we went into one rehearsal before I left back for the States and we, we did new stuff, you know, stuff that was going to be on soldier. We, we kind of messed around with the song. So, um, that was the audition. There <laughs> never really was, uh, you know, Hey, sing some of our stuff and this and that. Um, it was really, it's a really nutty story, but it's true. 
<laughs> so, so uh, up until then, had you ever been to Japan? That was our. That was my first time. Um, we were supposed to do something with Obsession in Japan because we were pretty popular there, and it just never came about. So um, that was the first time I was ever um, outside of Canada. Actually, I had never been out of the country. That was my first time in Japan. Definitely. Wow. What? 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 Looking back on it now, I, I don't know how long you were there for, Mike. Um, was there anything that surprised you about the place when you actually got there? Um, you know, everything happened so fast. Um, just, you know, it was real different, you know, now, now of course it's, 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 it's much easier, but then there was no internet. There wasn't anything like that. So just being somewhere that you can't read, even if it's in a different language, it's, it's, you know, over there, you can't read anything. It's, it's all the caricatures and stuff. And that was pretty strange. And just the whole cult culture was really different. Um, and that I was as popular as I was when I got there, you know, um, I was just some kid from Connecticut and I go over there and all of a sudden I'm this big deal. It was really, uh, it was super cool. You know, it was really, it was like a dream at the time. Hmm. So tell me about the, uh, the language problem you've, you've, you 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 might have had. How, how much English did the other three guys have? Um, depending on how drunk they were, but it was great. Masayoshi, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the bass player, spoke really good English. I guess he was brought up, his, something with his grandfather had spoken English. And uh, so he spoke pretty well. We communicated pretty easily. Akira, Akira spoke pretty well, too. If we were writing something or working together, it wasn't too much of a problem. Um, Masayoshi, I mean, not Masayoshi, Manitaka, the drummer, spoke the least, but he was the one, as he drank, he spoke really good. <laughs> you know, it was just like, <laughs> you know, the more Jack Daniels he drank, the better he spoke English. We were, it was, you know, really crazy. Um, but they, they had a translator for me at all times. You know, they always had someone in the beginning, um, if I needed it, but that didn't last long, you know, um, only for interviews and stuff like that. But as far as with the band, we were always alone. You know, it was, it was normally just us us guys in a room or, or out, and, and we would just discuss our, amongst ourselves, and it was fine. Hmm. Was that a concern for you joining the band? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I, I was concerned. I didn't realize they would know as much English as they did. You know, I figured it'd be a lot of, you know, interpreting and all that stuff, but... Um, yeah, you know, uh, it, and it wasn't. It was completely opposite, and, and uh, we had no issues at all. Hmm. So, so how soon after you after you joined, did you did you start writing? Like, did they have the bulk of the material already written for Soldier? Yeah, they they had the music. They had sent me the music beforehand to uh, to check out. Um, so they had the music. They had been looking for a singer for. God, I want to say eight months to a year at that point. You know, it it was real quiet that they had, uh, you know, let uh, Mickey go, the original singer. Um, so they were in L.A. They had guys coming in, auditioning. They were going through tapes and stuff for quite a while. So they had the record, the bulk of it recorded. Um, so um, as soon as I came back to the States, we started, you know, I started working on everything I was going to do, lyrics and parts and all that. And 
it was a few months. Um, you know, we had Max Norman producing. He had a co-producer, and then there was a guy named Bill Freeze who was the the engineer. So it was a matter of timing, getting everybody back together and regrouping to, to start the record again. Um, so it was at least three or four months before we actually started up, which was killing me, you know, because I wanted to do it right away. You know, I'm like, let's go, let's go I'm in the band, let's let's rock. But uh, you know, it took a little bit to get it up and running again. reading at the time and it wasn't just you it, uh, the same thing was leveled at David Reese uh, who replaced Udo that a lot of these bands were getting in American singers to break the American market did you hear that a lot yeah that was uh, oh sorry <laughs> dogs <laughs> hey go on go outside sorry about that <laughs> sorry. um yeah, with Loudness, they just wanted the, the uh, Western market. You know, they were a little tired of, of the Loudness jokes and the language jokes. And um, at the time, they just didn't feel that Mickey was singing really well. And, it, and it, was, it was really painstaking in the studio with him at the time, I guess, working with him. So, you know, there was a few reasons, but they did. They wanted the Western world, you know, and um, it was pretty much the same thing, I'm sure, with Accept. Mm. You must have been nervous, though, about how the Japanese fans would accept you replacing a Japanese singer. Yeah, I was actually. I was concerned about that, and um, you know, they they there was no issues. Um, I was surprised. You know, they embraced me. They they just thought I was going to be the the savior to loudness. You know, to their heroes and. Um, you know, even even Mickey, the singer, ex singer, had you know he had come out to a couple shows and he was super nice and we're we're actually good friends to this day, you know. Um, but it was really different, you know. I figured I'd get a lot of that, you know, like oh hey man, who's this guy coming in and this and that, and and it really 
you know, not that I had seen actually, you're not from the press or from, from anything. Um, you know, when I joined the band and when I actually went back after the record, uh, to do promo and stuff, it, it was like, you know, it was like the Beatles coming to America. You know, I was on every television show, every <laughs> magazine, every radio show, flying me here, flying me there, promo tours. So it was just, they really, you know, I guess they really did it right. They really just pushed it and pushed it. And um, so I didn't get a lot of that, surprisingly. Mm. Did they burn you out doing the promo for the record, being the only prominent English-speaking guy in the band? Um, yeah, not, you know, a bit, I just, I wanted to play, you know, I, I just, I was a young kid. I just wanted to get out there and rock and play and do shows and tour. And, um, there was just so much promo stuff, which you have to do, but, um, you know, we did a lot of playing on TV and just stuff like that. Um, but the touring just wasn't enough. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. let's go, you know? So, uh, that was a little bit of an issue. Just, uh, but you know, you have to deal with with all that stuff. So, hmm. so how how open were the guys to your input on the songs after you heard them? Um, pretty open. You know, what's funny is that Akira would always have some melodies in his in his head, and you know, it was funny how many times I would say, "Well, how about this or that?" And he was like, "Oh, that's that's what I had in mind." You know, so pretty, pretty well open to all that stuff. They were, they were really, um, you know, very few things. I, I would say more, more stuff came from producers or, or the record company like, Oh, Hey, you know, we want to change this a bit or that, but, uh, working with the guys was pretty cool. W- wasn't too many, um, too many issues, you know, maybe a thing here or there, but, uh, um, not really. Everything was really pretty smooth. Mm. Did, did, did the label try and push outside songwriters at all? Um, no, not at all. It was all, all us. Yeah. Just strictly, I mean, Akira just writes so much stuff. And, and at the time I was, you know, writing a ton of different things too. So yeah, no, no outside writers whatsoever. Just, um, just producer input mainly, you know, um, but the record companies, you know, just pretty much running wild with everything, you know, and obviously if it was something terrible, they would say something, <laughs> but uh, for the most part, we were free to do whatever. Mm. What about the direction of the record? Because you said there that they were looking to break the American market. Surely they might want a different sound from you guys that was on the previous albums. Yeah, um, well, they wanted more of the Western, the Western style, you know, which I think, you know, I mean, you can still you can still hear some Japanese influences here and there from Akira and different things, but I think it was definitely geared more towards towards the Western market for that one, more straightforward, commercial, a little more commercial, some you know bigger hooks and stuff like that. So that was definitely in their minds mm. to, uh, to to go after the Western market, but but kind of stay true to loudness and with the new singer and all that. So, um, you know, there's just so much stuff going on at that time. You keep, your head was spinning, you know, <laughs> mm. <laughs> so much stuff going on. Yeah. So, so Mike, tell me the reality of getting in a room with these guys and playing, because the musicianship those three guys have is incredible. Like you must, have just, yeah. you must have just stood there and started like singing the songs, like rehearsing them or working them up and go, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm playing with these guys. They're so good. 
Yeah, that that happened a few times, definitely. <laughs> you know, I was just like, uh, I'm not joking. It happened a lot more than a few times. Yeah, you know, there would be times where I, even Akira, I'd just be like, wow, oh my god, you know, even live, even sometimes on stage live, he'd be doing something, and I'd be, I'd just look over and go, man, you know, this guy's incredible. Um, but yeah, rehearsals and just just being part of that whole thing. You know, um, being such a big fan of the guys before and thinking they were a great band and being part of it was incredible. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you know, that happened quite a bit where I was like, wow, man, this is just unbelievable. These guys are killing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, great band, man. Just such a great band. Yeah. So did the songs come pretty easily? Like, did you work up more than the 10 that ended up on the record? Um. We worked on a few others, but um, not not too many. You know, I mean, the record that was pretty much pretty much what what was what it was going to be. You know, there were a couple other ideas, but um, I think maybe some some of them made the uh, on the Paul record, the second record. Um, but uh, mainly those ten songs were it. Hmm. So, so how much pre-production did you do with Max Norman? Um. You know, I didn't do any pre-production with Max. Um, what happened was they sent me back and I had like a little four-track machine at my house or something, uh, like a little cassette thing at the time. And, you know, I did all the pre-production myself. And um, when we did finally get together with Max, um, you know, we did a lot of stuff in the studio on the fly. Um, but, uh, for the most part, I did a lot of it, well, actually all of it, uh, beforehand. And, um, then when we got in the studio, we were free to change stuff and move stuff around. And Max was great. He's a, a super musical guy and he had some really great ideas and the changes we made and things we did, you know, even lyrically, we changed a couple of things. We're just, you know, we're great. Mm. So so how did he record the band? Did he record the three guys playing the tracks and then overdubbed you later on or did you all record together and then maybe change it here and there? Um the the band recorded, the three guys recorded, um and then they did whatever, you know, sixes or whatever, whatever they did at the time, but um and then uh, Akira and I were brought in, and and I did the overdub. You know, I did all the vocals, and he was doing lead guitars. We were mm -hmm. going back and forth. I would sing until until I was tired or whatever. Then Akira would would do his guitar parts. So, um, but the basic tracks were done just the three guys. You know, it wasn't necessary for me to be there. Um, they did those. They did that in L.A. I forget which studio it was. Um, could have been Sound City. But uh, and then Akira, we did some of the vocals and guitars at a place called Quantum Sound in New Jersey, of all places. Um, and after that, we went back out to Sound City and continued and, and just finished all the stuff out there. Mm. So, um, so, so yeah, it was it was it was all over the place. Yeah, so is there any one particular track on Soldier that was tough to get the take that you wanted? Um, all of them. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, you know, I, I would say the ballads, you know, the heavier stuff, the, you know, the rock and stuff was pretty, you know, uh, comfortable for me. I just, 
you know, like 25 days from home, I just, I knew it was super high for some of the parts and I was just concerned with, with getting it and getting it right. But, you know, in the end it all worked out well, but you, you never think at the time that what you're doing is great or, or good enough. You know, you always think you could do it better. And, um, so pretty much with the whole record, I was like, oh, I could have done this better or that better. But, you know, now I listen to it. I'm like, oh, it was great. It was, you know, I was out of my mind at the time, but, um, the ballads, you know, you just want them to be super nice and clean and, and, and really, to, you know, we had no tuning and all that stuff, what they have nowadays. So um, uh, you just really, you know, you just got to hope for the best <laughs> with mm. all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, you know, probably like 25 days from home or um, remember like Faces in the Fire, the timing was a little crazy in the song, but it all worked out. And Max was great. You know, he made you super comfortable in the studio and um so it was it was really a lot of fun making that record and then you could probably tell you know it was was really cool just doing it so mm. so so how did max push you in the studio because you hear stories about some guys they'll bark at you and then other producers will put their arm around you how, how did he do it um max is kind of he's a little bit of both in the beginning he was you know the taskmaster you know he would get on me and stuff and um and being a young kid from Connecticut or New York area, I kind of had the attitude back with him, which, which he, he really liked it, you know, cause I wouldn't, I wouldn't take the crap, you know, if he was getting on here or something, I'd be like, you know, just back off, man, you know, and he really loved that. And we hit it off great, you know? Um, and after that, he was more of a, Hey, why don't we try this? Hey, why don't we try that? You know, cause I had heard stories about Max. I mean, I, I've heard stories about him firing guys in bands <laughs> from their own bands and stuff before, you know? And, uh, um, but with me, you know, like I said, in the beginning, he didn't really know me well and he was a little tough on me, but then it was just, you know, we hang out. We'd, we'd, we'd start going out after, after the studio, having a few drinks and, um, became like bodies, you know? So he really, he really took me under his wing and, and, uh, I think you could tell that, you know, it was just really, really uh, a lot of fun making that record with him. Mm. Um, were the other band guys in the studio watching you do the vocals or did they all go their own separate way? Um, no, uh, kind of both, you know, they'd come in from time to time and check things out and leave and, you know, um, they weren't there all the time. Akira was probably there more than, more so than anyone, but they would all come in and out, you know, we'd, we'd be in these places for, for a day, you know, I'd be, I could be in the studio for 12, 14 hours, sometimes cutting vocals and, um, you know, they'd come in, listen, they'd leave and, and they knew they were in good hands with Max, you know, uh, at the helm and stuff. So, um, you know, they weren't there all the time. You know, even the label was like that. They would come in from time to time and check things out and, and leave and you know maybe in a few days stop back but the guys would stop in every day you know they would stop in to to see what was going on every day but they wouldn't hang out mm. you know it's just it's you know they'd rather come in and hear some stuff that's that's done they don't want to sit there watching them punching vogels and stuff because <laughs> it gets boring pretty quickly you know so uh, they would go golf and do whatever the heck they did so yeah so, so mike after doing the record um, what song did you want as the first single? Um, geez. Um, you know, I liked you shook me. I thought you shook me was a good, a good choice. You know, um, 
I thought they might lead off at Soldier of Fortune, but they, uh, you know, Derek, um, Derek Shulman was our A&R guy at, um, at ACO Atlantic. And, you know, he was in that, he was, uh, in Gentle Giant. I don't know if you remember that band years ago, the Shulman brothers. I, I actually, Mike, I actually interviewed Derek about a year ago. Um, I went, okay. I went through a lot of, I went through a lot of the bands. And your ah. your your band was one of the ones that I asked him about. So, Derek Derek yeah. Derek signed Bon Jovi and Cinderella and right, like <laughs> incredible guy. Yeah, he really is, and he's he's super musical. I mean, having him for an A and R guy was was unbelievable. And uh, you know, and he would come into the studio and he would suggest edits. Hey, how about if we do this little edit or that, which is you know, really unheard of from an A&R guy, you know, most of the time they'll listen and go oh, cool or not, you know, but, um, so we, you know, having him, we were like, you know, this guy knows what he's doing. So let's, let's, uh, let's just go along with what he thinks. So, um, so yeah, you should be, was probably the, the right thing to lead off with, you know, um, I just wish they didn't, film the video like Godzilla was coming out of the mountains. Uh, um, but, oh, yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> oh, it's really bad. And the thing is, there was this, there was this um, you know, the whole video was supposed to be, there, there was a girl, they shot this really beautiful girl all day long here and there, and she's supposed to be throwing down these lightning bolts, and and this is why the rocks are shaking. And, and <laughs> for some reason, they just cut her completely out. And, and when we saw the video, we all were like, what the hell? Where's Godzilla? That's all we need in this. This is terrible, you know? And uh, we laughed and laughed and we're like, this is, this is ridiculous, you know? But, um, you know, I don't know who, who, who did that. And, you know, they were moving us around so quickly. We were, you know, we were flying here, there on the road and, and we were just like, whatever it is, what it is. And just let it fly. But, um, yeah, just terrible video. <laughs> Were you, 
we're, we're all four of you ecstatic with the way the album turned out because you would have gone in with expectations. Yeah, we were really happy with, with what we got. You know, we thought it sounded great, and, and uh, we really thought there were some cool songs. Um, we just, we just wished that we were able to tour more. We had, um, you know, a lot of people don't know, but we were, we had some big, big problems with management at the time, and they kind of like took off with all our money. And, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, it was really, really bad. We thought we didn't know if we even loudness was going to continue after that whole thing. Um, it was just we were sitting there, and you know, the record had gotten such great reviews and doing so well, and we never toured the states. You know, we we did play, we toured Southeast Asia, we did great there. Um, of course, Japan. Um, but we never toured the States or Europe and that's what they brought me in to do. And because of all the legal stuff, we couldn't, we couldn't do anything. You know, it was, it was really a shock for all of us and, and really depressing. And we didn't know how we were going to continue. Um, and luckily, uh, Warner pioneer, our label at the time bailed us out and, 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 uh, paid for the next record. And, and, uh, that's how we continued and um that record what on the prowl wasn't supposed to be released worldwide that was only for japan which was another problem there's a lot of really bad decisions uh within management and the band and label stuff that happened that shouldn't have but um so yeah we were super super excited about the record we thought things were going to be great we thought figured we'd be opening up for someone in it, somebody in arenas and, and um, nothing happened. Do you, do, you remember, do you remember, Mike, any names of any of the bands that were being told for you to go out with? Well, you know, there was always the guys like Motley Crue and Ozzy and, and Whitesnake, Dio. You know, there was always these names being mentioned, you know, because um, Loudness had done that before. DC. You know, there's all, all these names that we could have gone out with. Um, so, you know, we figured, you know, we figured we could even do a, a theater tour in the States at that point. You know, we could have probably gone in and done a couple thousand people a night in theaters and, and uh, either that or, you know, tour with somebody worldwide. And just there were so many things on the table that just all just dropped out it was really, really upsetting for all of us. And um, we just didn't know. I didn't know if we were going to continue or what was going to happen at that point. Mm. So, so tell me about your first show in Japan. How nervous were you? Um, I was pretty nervous. You're lucky. Like I, said, I was a young kid and full of energy, so um, it was good. But um, yeah, definitely, definitely nervous. You know, like wow. You know, what are the, what are the fans going to think of me? What are you know, am I going to remember all the songs, you know, just this, 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 the silly stuff, you know, but, um, it was the first time in years that I was out with a different, a different group of guys, you know, um, obsession. We had been together for years and toured and done so many shows together. And it was really different. You know, it was a whole different thing. Obsession was more of a dark kind of real metal thing. And, and loudness was more of a, a a straight rock kind of thing. So the attitude live was a bit different, but you know, it really came off well, you know, everything went really well, but real nervous, <laughs> really mm. nervous, especially being in Japan, you know, I think, uh, God, it was in a, 
can't remember what theater it was. It was a theater somewhere. It was probably about three thousand people, four thousand people. The first show they kept they kept things a little a little smaller in the beginning just to get us warmed up and stuff. So, mm. so so Mike, did you make an effort to learn the, some of the language so that you could actually speak it on stage between songs? I I did. Yeah, I didn't like I wouldn't speak a lot, but I would be able to say I love you Japan or Tokyo or whatever city we were in and you're great. And, you know, certain certain things they want to hear, you know. Um so I did did learn some stuff and and as as I was, you know, after a year or two with loudness, I could actually um I could speak i can get by in japan if i was up by myself you know i could i learned enough to to be able to you know answer a phone or give directions to a cab or say i was hungry or tired you know i can't speak fluently but i did learn enough that i can squeak by and 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 enough to to speak some things on stage so yeah i did i did make sure of that and, and they love that you know anywhere you go if you could speak something in their language they love it hmm. so. so one of the things the japanese fans are noted for um especially when you're playing to them is they're very quiet when you're singing yeah. um did that freak you out in the beginning because you were you were you might have looked out and think am i doing well here or am i not doing well yeah that's that's a really, really strange thing is that you come on a stage and everybody's sitting and they're, and they're all like dressed in suits and they're dressed, you know, it's like going to a church or something. <laughs> it's really, they're super, super quiet before the show. You're like, wow, is anybody here? And um, so, yeah, that's really, really different. Um, but they, you know, you can get them up and, and, um, you know, get them excited and stuff like that. But it was different really really different for me mm. to see that it, it's changed a lot now like now the fans are up on their feet and they're it's pretty much like playing anywhere but at the time it was very different yeah so, so mike tell me about some of the the gifts you got from japanese fans I, i've asked i think i asked don Dawkins this re- a while back and he said he got a rolex from a girl that cost like five grand like, did you ever get anything real extravagant or or very detailed from a fan that they made themselves? Um, yeah, I get all kinds of stuff. A lot of drawings, letters, dolls, clothing. I've actually gotten not a Rolex, but I've gotten some nice watches and jewelry and stuff. And it's, you know, it's like, wow, you know, I can't take this. This is crazy. But um, they just they go out of their way. You know, the fans are just unbelievable there. Mm. Um, trying to think of anything else crazy that I might have gotten. There's just so much stuff, you know. They're always giving you stuff. Um, the, the drawings and the, <laughs> the stuff they do, and it's always amazing, you know. Uh, so yeah, it's just so much, so much stuff. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> it's a different world over there. Yeah, yeah. So I just want to ask you one or two questions about the second record, Mike. Um, mm-hmm. are, are you a what? What? What do you think of the second record now compared to Soldier? Are you a bigger fan of that? Uh, uh much better. You know, we what happened was because we we you know had had gotten pretty much embezzled a ton of money from a management uh, company. We needed to do something, so the plan was to do on the prowl. Um, what it was, we were going to do a record of old loudness songs, 
just with English lyrics and some different melodies and more modern, you know? So they had, I think, I want to say four records that were in Japanese before they started doing the English thing. So we went back and almost all the songs, I think three or four might be newer songs. I think three songs, four songs, I don't remember, but uh, they were going to be all old songs. Um, just, you know, with me singing with different melodies, English lyrics, and somewhere as we were recording, the label had come in. They liked what was happening. They decided it, it was going to be a worldwide record. You know, originally it was only for Japan. We were going to release the record. You know, we would make a bunch of money, recoup, and then go back in and make the follow-up to Soldier. And somebody, <laughs> some genius somewhere decided that that was going to be the next record for the world. And that was the, bad, it was the wrong idea, you know. Um, so we were we were a bit surprised at that, and uh, we so we we wrote a couple of new songs as well. I think down and dirty and um, find a way. There was a few that were new, but you know it wasn't nearly the record the soldier was, and we knew it at the time. But it was basically you know just something for the Japanese fans originally, and um, and you know like there was a lot of bad decisions, you know, and and at the time. I was getting really frustrated at that point uh, you know, from all the bad decisions and what was happening. So that was kind of where I was thinking like, man, I might have to get out of this. Um, it was just, it just wasn't going where it was supposed to. Hmm. Did you get a chance to, uh, to tour that record in Europe or the U S we did. We, um, we t only toured the U S um, and not that we, we did. I think we started in LA we did a couple shows with Striper and then we took off on our own and it was just one, we were doing probably thousand seaters. It wasn't anything extravagant and, uh, and it just was falling apart. Um, just, just, uh, just so many, so many problems, but we probably did maybe 10 shows total. And I believe the last show was going to, we played in DC and then Brooklyn, I believe, was was our last show that I actually left the band. I left the band before the show. I had, had enough at that point because it was just just a nightmare between the band, the crew, the management. Everything just got so so ugly. I, I was I had enough. I couldn't take it anymore. So that was it. You know, there was a lot of things that I, that I just, it'd be too long to get into. But, um, at that point I was like, I'm done with this, you know, I'm just done. Hmm. So, you know, they, things weren't going like the band thought they were. And all they kept talking about was going back to go back and make another record. Let's go back and tour Japan. Let's go back. And I'm like, man, you got me in this band to tour the States and Europe and do this. You can't, you can't do this. We have to promote, and Echo, Echo couldn't stress enough. If you guys don't finish this tour and continue this, it's done. We're dropping the band. We're done. And and they just wouldn't listen, you know. Um, and that's exactly what happened. But funny enough is that on the prowl, sales were doing better than Soldier. I mean, it was actually selling a ton of records and. Um, and doing really well on college radio and on radio and stuff, which we were shocked. So, um, yeah, it just, it just got really, really bad. 
<laughs> it, just, it just wasn't good at that point. Yeah. And that was that was that was it. That was the final straw yeah. for me. Do, do you know, Mike, it's interesting as I talk to all these guys about records from back then, everybody on the outside always blames grunge for the demise of the band. And so many of the musicians I talk to say say that grunge really had nothing to do with it. It was the politics and the label that did it. Absolutely. Same thing. Yeah, it's usually it's usually that it's it's not so much you know because there's a lot of band look at Slayer or, or or bands like Megadeth I mean they've they've lasted through the years they just they just kept doing it you know Iron Maiden Priest you know it's just it's always politics with the label and the band and management and that's where it gets ugly you know if you left the band alone everything would be fine you know um, and you know I think the grunge thing was was starting with loudness. I think it was more when I was with Ingvay when it was really hitting, you know, but um that's a whole nother a note <laughs> another, uh, interesting situation and and uh you know, but that's that's what it was. It had nothing to do with grunge or the music scene at the time. You know, we we could have been very successful and continued on. It was just too many outside things killing everything and, and killing us. Mm. So, Mike, have you ever got up on stage with the guys since you left and sang any of the songs with them? Um, yeah, I have, actually. Um, every time they come to the States or if they're in Nashville, they'll ask me to come out and sing Soldier and a few other things. But uh, I still go. Like, I'll, They'll do special shows in Japan, and I'll fly over. Um, we just did, it was about a year and a half, I mean, two years now. They, but we won't like if I do a show with them. They don't call it loudness. They'll call it Soldier of Fortune featuring Mike Vicera. And we did uh, Loud Park, which is like a huge, huge festival over there. And, and we did, you know, all uh, all the stuff that I did with them. And I think we did Rock and Roll Crazy Nights is the only other song we did. But I still do shows with them, special shows, and uh, still really good friends talk all the time um i was on monsters of rock with akira last year the year before um and we did a couple of things so we stay in touch and um and do do special shows now and then and there was talk of us doing a tour this year for the for the anniversary of soldier um that was my that was heard, mike that was my next question <laughs> yeah yeah there's been talk about it, you know because i keep getting offers from people to go out and do the soldier record you know to tour and and use a band and stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to do it with the, with the guys, you know? Um, so it still could happen. It's still early enough in the year. Um, it just depends on what their schedule is like for loudness. But, but we would go out as, as soldier of fortune, you know, just to, uh, to not confuse anything that they've got a new singer or anything like that. And, and we use a different drummer as well. So it's Akira Masayoshi, myself, and then we'll use a, a popular drummer from Japan or, or they were talking about maybe getting an American guy if we did it um, to do it. So uh, it would be great. And, and like I said, we're still friends. We're, we're, you know, we still work on different things together. You know, for a while, when I left the band, we didn't talk for, for a bunch of years. Um, and then when Munetaka died, the drummer um, passed away, you know, we reconnected and we're like, oh, geez, we were kidding and stupid, whatever, you know, and, and we're just really good friends now. Mm. And, you know, and love playing together when we do, you know, yeah. Kira and I, and we just, we just really hit it off and, and it's just a really cool situation. Yeah. So are the songs on Soldier 
still e- easy for you to sing or, or some of them? Do you look back on some of them and say, Christ, I sang these very high? Yeah, always. No. <laughs> but but, but, but I, I'm a little brain numb. I still sing them in the same key. They were, That was one thing. The first time we got back together, they were like, you know, what do you want us to tune down? Or well, I'm like, I just leave in the same key, and they were so excited to be able to play them in the in the normal normal tunings and stuff. So, um, you know, I'm really fortunate that I could still sing that stuff. You know, I could still sing the high things, but uh, you know, some of it is it's super high, and I still like, wow, you know, am I gonna be able to do this? And and uh, just crazy. <laughs> like, well, what was I thinking? <laughs> it was it was Max pushing you. Yeah, yeah, Max, Max with the whip. Come on, let's go. Yeah, he's great. I, I see Max is doing stuff again, which is super cool. Yeah, he just um, he mixed that Red Dragon Cartel record last year with Jakey Lee. Ah, um, cool. Yeah, he's still he's still out there. He killer killer produ- killer producer. Brilliant. Yeah, he was great, man. You know, I learned so much from him. You know, I really did. I mean, I I produce stuff now, and you know, I've been for years, but I learned so much from Max and and being in the studio. Um, he was great, and mm. he still is. Mm. So, Mike, it's been a it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, oh, great talking to you. I bought the record in '89 when it came out. Um, one of the great thing, one of the great things I love about doing what I do now, is I can get to talk to the guys about the records I bought when I was sixteen years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Even for me, when I go out and tour, and I, you know, I did a singers tour with uh, Udo and Blaze and and Tim. We do a lot of things together, and I'm like, man, I'm with Udo, I I still love this guy. I still do. You know, it's like. And to hang out with people and, and different singers like Ronnie Dio through the years and just it's like wow, you know, it's so cool to be able to hang out with these guys and you know, people I listened to and loved and bought their records and stuff. So it's cool. Mm. It's really cool. Mm. Mike, how do you how do you let just final question. How how mm-hmm. do you, how do you let what happened with loudness not sour the way you look at the music business? Like what what made you keep going? Um, just the love of music, you know, just love of creating it and, and the fans and everything, you know, it's, it's, we live it, you know, it's just, I've been doing this all my life. And although it's, it's depressing, you know, at the time you're just thinking of, all right, okay, how am I going to regroup and, and just move on, you know, and, and, and do something even bigger and better. It's really all you can do, you know, um, but it's, it's tough. It's tough when things like that, it's like the end of the world when things like that happen, but you know, you just you just got to keep going, and it's really just the love of love of music and creating it, and singing, playing. Mm-hmm. So, Mike, you just That's... keep singing, and I'll keep listening. Awesome, awesome. So, it's great so, talking to you, man. Yeah. All right, Mike. Well, have a good rest of the day, and thanks for talking to me. Great, great. Right. Good talking to you. Right. Bye, bye, Richard. Take care. Bye. We'll see you, man.
That wraps up this week's classic throwback episode with our guest, Mike Vicera. Hoping this one inspires you to go back and check out a couple of those classic loudness albums from the late 80s and early 90s. And we will continue the throwback episodes next week. And uh, right now, not sure exactly which one we are running. A couple to choose from. Just really haven't been able to get a chance to talk to Richie, get his, uh, his consensus on what he'd like to run next week. But uh, rest assured, more great classic throwback episodes uh, next week. But for this week, that's it. There ain't no more stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.